Matthew 17, we're going to read verses 14 through 20, and uh, we'll pick it up from there. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why, why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I said, I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that our hearts would be open. Our, our spiritual understanding be sensitized to what you would say to your church. Lord, uh, we're in this life, Lord, and it seems like times we are just powerless over so much. And Lord, our faith is, is little and our twistedness is much. Lord, in your mercy, will you encourage us and strengthen us and straighten us out, Lord, that we might be your witnesses, your messengers, your powerful witnesses in this time we live in. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we're picking up right after the transfiguration. Remember, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, the three, up on the mountain, and he transfigured himself before him, uh, before them. And there was Moses, and there was Elijah, and then Peter was kind of, his understanding of who Jesus was was kind of corrected there. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, but as Peter, James, John, Jesus come down the mountain, they come in to pick up with the, where the rest of the nine were left off. The nine disciples who were left there in verse 14 tells us when they came to a crowd. So there was a crowd, there was a man gathered there. So they're meeting back up with the disciples, uh, kneeling before him. And he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. How many of you have kids who sick and, and, and even in their normal sickness as little kids, you're just praying to the Lord. Imagine what this person was going through, where you have a child who is suffering from seizures and suffering terribly, he says. So just a traumatic event going on in this kid's life. And what he's doing is he's throwing himself into fires and, and into pools of water, which were all over the place around there, open fire pits and such. And so it's interesting. It says that this kid was suffering some from seizures. The word seizures is where we get the word uh, uh, selenio zomaya. And, and the idea in the Greek is how many of you know the word Selena? It means the moon, right? Well, this word Selena Zomaya means moonstruck. And so it's sometimes translated as lunatic. Luna meaning the moon, tick meaning obviously attacked or uh, struck. But in the, ancient, in the ancient Greek writing, the idea of being moonstruck, they just chalked it up to people who would act totally abnormal, were out of control. Does that make sense? And so they would call people lunatics or, or they're moon, they must be moonstruck because they are going crazy. Uh, but what's being described here by the boy's, boy's father is that his, his son was out of control. And so 
he was looked at, this kid was looked at as, as a lunatic. He was looking at as moonstruck, not how we would think as a moon, moon, lunatic, but a little differently. We know from um, this passage, as well as from Mark and Luke's accounts, which also record this in, in, in chapter nine of both. So that really helps me with memorization. Uh, you know, hey, it's really easy. How do you know this? Well, the Lord made it to where Mark nine and Luke nine both tell the same story. So, yay. But both gospels um, tell that this youth, this youth was experiencing violent seizures from childhood. So he's, he's probably a young, young guy right now, but he's been experiencing since he was a boy. And uh, he, he also was experiencing, if you look down in verse 25 of Matthew 17, he's, he was also deaf and mute. So he's deaf, he's mute, he's foaming at the mouth, he's throwing himself into fires, he's throwing himself in the water, he's suffering with seizures and all these things. And so this is a terrible situation this, this, this kid is in. Now, when the ancient Greeks called someone moonstruck again, uh, or a lunatic, it, it's thought that this could have been their way of describing someone who suffered from what we would, we would call a neurological disorders or neurological diseases. Um, and because neurological disorders and diseases, they, they manifest themselves in, in really bizarre ways. Um, people just kind of chalk that up to, Oh man, the moon is having an effect on this person. They're just, they're crazy or they're just demon possessed. They just throw them immediately into these categories of something they can't explain. So they just say that about this person. It's much easier for people, for us to understand maladies and things that are happening to people that deal with your arm or your leg or your kidneys, or you got heart disease or you got cancer or something like that. It's, it's much easier for us because it's not dealing with the central nervous system. It's not dealing with the software that runs everything. But when the software is, is affected, the thing that runs, well, the hardware that runs the software, when that's a, that's, when your brain is affected, it, it manifests itself in all these weird symptoms. And we just look at it and go, man, that's just strange. That's just strange. It's easier to look at things like heart disease and cancer, degenerative disc disease. How many of you suffering with that? And if not, you probably will. Um, but, you know, when it comes to things with the brain, it really mystifies people. It really mystifies people. The effects are, are so deep and profound on people. Uh, I have personal experience when I started having headaches when I was in 1998. So that's a while ago. It was what, 20? I don't know. Can't remember. It's one of the effects. Um, so I went to a neurologist. They scanned my brain and well, actually I went to talk about things. I had a doctor come to me, kind of a, a brother in the Lord and they, and they get, listen, there's nothing physically wrong with you. It's got to be something emotional or it's got to be something in there. And I'm like, what? You know, so I'm just wondering why I have these headaches all the time. Went to a neurologist, they scan your brain and uh, they're like, yeah, there's, there's nothing there. I love the word that uh, those technicians say. <laughs> oh, we scanned your brain and, it, and the results came back unremarkable. <laughs> I'm like, can you pick something better? So I've got an unremarkable brain. That's wonderful. Still to this day, I chuckle. Um, and so I go to a neurologist and they say, oh, well, you have chronic daily headache. I'm like, I know. <laughs> like, that's what's why I'm here. Why? <laughs> why have I had a headache that hasn't gone away? And, you know, our brother Tim Johnson has a similar situation. So I've had a headache since 1998. It hasn't gone away. And they don't know why. Um, they call, then later they say fibromyalgia and fibromyalgia is like a, a catch all for maybe you have something autoimmune going on. We really don't know. And so there's people in this fellowship, you know, just, I just wanted to share my personal things there. 
people in this fellowship who, who know and love and pray for those who are suffering with these diseases. And, you know, we've got a brother we pray for suffers with seizures and we've got other people struggling, struggling with Parkinson's and all these other things that come on. And, and, and so just when we're going through these things, it's like, we love you. And I personally know what it's like to suffer like that. You hear me switch words all the time. You hear me a little, I, I can't grab things. You know, it's like, we, we, you guys know that there's something going on with the central nervous system, yet you're still here. You love me. So praise God. <laughs> but and so often people who suffer these maladies have been immediately thrown to a camp of you've got a demon in you by certain groups of, of Christians or, or you have, um, or you've got some kind of sin in your life that's, that's going on, or you're moonstruck, you're a lunatic, right? And make no mistake. We do destroy ourselves. We do uh, chemically fry our brain with drugs and, and then our, we're not working right anymore. So that's part of it, right? So I don't want to throw everything out. But if you think of things like Parkinson's and dementia and Alzheimer's and, and epilepsy and MS and ALS, all these things, that, man, they're devastating. They're, they're kind of crazy. And so in the ancient world, there would just be this often broad stroke brush across people. Now we're here in 2023 with a lot more science. But here's the flip side of this is that we now chalk everything up to a neurological condition. That's what we do with everything. Now it's all science worship at the altar of science. As we have learned to do lately, but that's not the whole picture. There's a spiritual aspect to us. There is a spiritual dimension to your being. Do you not know that? that you have a soul within you, the very thing that operates the hardware, the software, the, the manifestations that are going on. And if there's something going on with your soul, it affects yourself. It affects everything else usually. And it manifests itself in different ways. And so the man was describing what was happening to his son there in verse 15, as the seizures would come on the boy would scream and throw himself into the fire or into the water. So there's self harm going on. And this is a tell sign of demonic activity. Very interesting. You wonder, you know, there's cutting phases where people are cutting themselves and self harm and suicides and all these things that are inexplicable, inexplicable people telling that God uh, possessed them and told them to uh, God was telling them to, to go into a school and shoot up people and all this kind of stuff. We know where that comes from. The world doesn't. They're just crazy. They're off their meds. Maybe, but something's going on there. And so there's a self harm going on, which this is often a tell sign of demonic possession. And, and the man says to Jesus, and I brought him to your disciples in verse 16, and they could not heal him. They couldn't do anything about it. And so often people in these situations, whether it be physical or otherwise, you're just stuck. So this man is powerless. This, his son is, is powerless to change anything. And so this man brought, did what he could only do. He brought him to the disciples of Jesus, the nine that were left there. And they could not heal him. And we've got a problem here. Because if we go back to Matthew chapter 10, flip left in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse one with me. What do we know about the disciples? What do you read there? They have the authority to do this. 
And he called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. So over the demonic and to heal every disease and every affliction, including whatever this, this, this young man, this boy has going on. So the issue is not that they couldn't do this. The question is that they could, or the, the thing is they really could do this. And so the question isn't if they could heal the man, it's why couldn't they heal him? What's going on there? Well, Jesus starts to clear things up in verse 17. And Jesus answers, Oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? You just can see Jesus just having a big sigh. He comes back down off the mountain being transfigured in the presence of his father walks back down to his disciples and they have no power over what he had given them authority and power over. They were defeated. I've been on that side. Anyone else? What often we operate there, but two issues at hand that Jesus was concerned with, and this is good stuff for us to write down personally. He calls them a faithless and a perverse generation, faithlessness and perversion, perversion, meaning being twisted. In other words, not believing in who he was and being twisted about their understanding of who he was. Two things there, not believing in him, not having faith in him in the situation and also their understanding of him being twisted. And, and, and again, I'm not sure if this is directed towards the, the crowd in general who was there, which I think it's true because he says that before in earlier chapters, talks about a perverse and wicked generation, right? So that's true. But I think he's directing this towards his disciples who is kind of, who are kind of acting like they're a part of this generation. There should be something distinct about them. There should be something different about them. There should be a lack of perversion and they should be full of faith. And, and we're going, gosh, you know, you're talking about what they aren't. It's like Jesus is saying what they aren't. He's a, he's, he's, he's disappointed in them. And I don't know if that's the right word, but they should be a little bit further along than they should be. Was it Proverbs 20, 27, six says, um, you know, Faithful are the, are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So there's this faithfulness that Jesus tells them exactly where they're at. You guys are faithless and you're perverted. Wow. Sometimes, you know, in our walks with the Lord, we, we need the direct truth from the Lord. He just kind of has to tell us where we're at. Uh, we're longing for encouragement and we need it. And by the way, we are called to do that with one another. The word encourage actually in scripture is more like the word coach where it has that idea of admonition. Cause you can be translated in the word encouragement can be translated both um, exhortation and encouragement. <laughs> Isn't that interesting to exhort someone? In other words, you tell them what's not going on and what that needs to happen. At the same time, you encourage them and what they're doing. It's this coaching type of thing. Maybe parenting is a better idea. And so the Lord is faithful to, you know, to shepherd his flock. He sits there and says to him, Hey, you're faithless and perverted. It's pretty, 
nerve wracking. What would Jesus say to me and to us as we are so often (laughs) acting out the role of a, a true sheep? Amen. Jesus was perturbed with their lack of faith and how easily twisted their understanding was. And again, the broader context here is the past several chapters has been their disciples lack of faith and understanding. You remember that as we've been going through, he keeps kind of, you're, you're, I don't know. It's like, we're, we're more relating with the disciples going, are you sure they're supposed to be this far along Lord? But he's, he's, he's getting at him in Matthew 15, 16. I'll just grab a couple. Cause we'll come back But Matthew 15, 16. Jesus said to Peter and disciples, And he said, are you still without understanding? I'll give you the context you can find out. But he goes, are you still without understanding? In other words, he's like, why aren't you? You're supposed to know this stuff by now, right? He's not putting them down. He's saying, this is what you need to aspire to. This is where you should be. Grow. This is about the condition of the human heart being uh, of what defiles a person. They didn't understand that when he was talking about food and all this kind of stuff. Well, in Matthew 16, 8, Jesus says to the disciples, Uh, But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Remember that discussion? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves or the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves or the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven and the Pharisees. Why aren't you tracking with me? Anyone else? You guys have kids? Anybody? Hello. <laughs> are, are you there? I feel like that with the Lord all the time. It's like, why aren't I tracking with him? Why don't I, why aren't I on the same wavelength? You know, in, in 1623, Matthew 1623, Jesus had just revealed the plan of the cross, right? Just, I'm going to the cross. This is what's going to happen. And Peter decides to take Jesus aside and, and rebuke him for that. And Jesus says in verse 23, but he turned to Peter and said, great, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Listen, just a moment before he had just been blessed because he just declared Jesus as the, as the Christ, the son of God. Amen. He heard from the Lord, but the next minute he's a puppet of Satan and Jesus just calls him on it. And so we have this dynamic in our faith where we need to grow. We should be further along than where we are, but we get twisted and we lack faith. We take our eyes off Jesus and we start to interpret things through the world and through circumstances instead of who he is and what he says. When that happens, it manifests itself in powerlessness in our life. Faithlessness. Oh, you have little faith. And these are just the highlights. The context is that the disciples are walking with Jesus, hearing from Jesus, having things explained to them by Jesus, being even being empowered and sent out by Jesus. And they're having, they're, they're casting out demons. They're healing people. They're doing all this amazing stuff. And now Jesus sits there and says, Hey, you're twisted and perverted or you're faithless and perverted. Right. And Jesus is headed towards the cross and all this. Remember, this is the big shift in this part of the chapter. Jesus is headed towards the cross and he goes, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? How long are we going to, I'm about to leave. And it's not like Jesus doesn't know the plan. He doesn't, he knows the end result. He knows where they're going to be, but I'm not going to be with you much longer. It's time to grow up. And we know he sends the Holy Spirit, but 
Jesus is headed towards the cross and it's on his mind as he just came down from the mountain. The truth is that they should be able to heal this man, but because of their lack of faith and their twisted understanding, they can't. And so Jesus upon hearing this in verse 17, what does he do? He goes "Oh, because the disciples can't do it. I'm not going to intervene. This man's just going to suffer. What does he do? Bring him here to me. I love that about the Lord. He's so good. And Jesus rebuked the demon verse 18 and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. That's our Jesus with a word done deal, all power, all authority. Amen. So the issue here was not a new neurological disorder. This boy was experiencing what he was experiencing, the seizures and the foaming and the self harm and, you know, being mute and deaf. What a horrible situation to be in because of a demon that tells you something about the nature of demonic power and how they operate and how they manifest themselves in this world. And as a side note, it's really not the main thing, but one of the problems we have today is that we lack spiritual discernment. And and I feel like it goes back to Jesus is kind of just saying, Hey, you guys should kind of have a little bit more. You should be tuned a little bit more to this stuff. Know what it is. Know how to deal with it. Be discerning in these ways. But why, why aren't we? Why are we so quick to attribute things to science or to demonic possession? Why don't we have more discernment comes to maturity, right? Comes to maturity. Christians are so easily easy to embrace science at, as the end all on the one hand and on the other chalk up everything to demonic activity on the other, right? Should be discernment maturity there. The truth is that some people are suffering from diseases and some people are manifesting these symptoms because there's demonic activity or even sin in their life. It's all true. We need mature believers. We need men and women who have their eyes on Jesus. Who've been walking with him, who hear his words, who know how he is, who have discernment from the spirit. We need these people who know Christ deeply, who love deeply, who love his word, who can determine what the enemy's up to and know how to minister and pray according to God's will in these circumstances. It's interesting in James 5, 13, and this is a side note, I know, but James 5, 13 through 16, James says, is anyone among you suffering? Ask yourself this question. Is anyone among you suffering? Yeah, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of suffering in this fellowship. Well, it says, let them pray. Okay, pray, 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 pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praises. So two, two responses. One to suffering is prayer. One to joy in your heart is praise. Both are directed towards whom? Towards the Lord, right? And he goes on. Is this anyone among you sick? Well, what are you supposed to do there? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So why? 
Do we know? So he says, like, if you are sick and you are suffering, call upon the elders. Let us pray for you. Let's lay so we can lay hands on you and pray for you. What's 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 at the root of all this? Why why the elders? Why not one another? And by the way, we are to pray for one another. I'm not dismissing that, but why is James phrasing it like this in here? I'm asking questions that I know the answers to at the moment, but the nature of suffering is often mysterious to us. Isn't it? We don't know why we're suffering a prolonged sickness or whatever this might be. And this is why James says to pray. You need prayer. You need God's wisdom, right? And to seek God. Is anyone among you sick? Immediately go to the doctor. And then if they don't know what it is, go and seek prayer. See, that's how the world works. I'm not saying we don't go to the doctor. Amen for doctors. I wouldn't be here for the hand of doctors and nurses. Praise God. But immediately I think we're, what's our default go to when we're in trouble? Who is it? Man, it's Jesus, my shepherd. Why is it that we go to others instead of the him? It's because where is our faith? Where's our trust? Where's the wisdom that we want? It's in the world. That's twisted. That's twisted. Do you see that? I'm not saying that we don't then go to the doctor and get chemotherapy or whatever it is we need to do. Amen. But our first reaction, the very first thing is pray, Lord, here I am. I'm sick. I've got this thing going on. Help. What's going on in my life? What's going on? And you, and you grab the spiritual people around you that are mature and you get wisdom for a minute and you pray about stuff. Lord, help. What do I do? And it's in the context, hopefully these ma- ma- mature people in the Lord, in this case, the elders, elders, what comes about discernment is the issue truly sickness alone, or is it demonic or is it sin? See, there's discernment among mature people in the body of Christ. And hopefully You know, that's why the Lord says you should be there guys. Come on. The church needs this. I'm leaving. You're going to be the ones, the Holy spirit in, and you, I'm going to be with you. Don't. Okay. You guys understand the theology, but there's an expectation that what he's taught us needs to be manifested among us. His spirit in us, loving, discerning, guiding, helping one another. That's a manifestation of love. You know, a parent looking at a kid and going, Oh, they're acting out. They just need to be alone in the room. Or is it that they don't have enough time with their parent? You know, or they just need X, Y, and Z going on. Discernment. We need mature discerning people in our lives. People who trust the Lord, who have faith and discernment. And then he says about when you, when the elders come and pray, he says verse 15 and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The prayer of faith. This is not word of faith, weirdness. We're just going to override God's discernment. In other words, as we're praying according to God's will, we're trusting in him. God's going to do what he's going to do. And in this case, he'll heal the sick. And so if it's a matter of sickness, the Lord might heal you and raise you up. But what if it's the sickness is suffering as a result of something else? What if it's demonic or sin? And you go down this road of, 
medical things that are never going to resolve the issue. So I hope your minds are opened up to the things of the Lord here in a new way that God has an avenue for you to go. He wants you to just go straight to him with other brothers and sisters and pray about your circumstances. And that is what we're called to because we're all suffering. Sometimes we're all get sick. We're all either being disciplined or we're all rejoicing for something. Right. And if one hurts, we all hurt. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. We're a body. Amen. And God has put people in here and in the body of Christ at large to minister and to love upon you and to help you and to move you in those ways. That's why life groups and Bible studies and all these things are going on. Not just on Sunday where it's a monologue, where there's a dialogue going on are so precious to the body of Christ. And they're for you and for your encouragement and your betterment and your maturity. And so if he's committed sin, James says he'll be forgiven. If the issue sin, it gets brought up. But how many times we've sat there and go, this is not a sickness issue. This is a heart issue and God wants to get to it. And as they go, yeah, you're right. And they pray and then God just takes it away. Sometimes he uses these things to get a hold of us because we're not listening in any other ways. Amen. So, and by the way, he disciplines those he loves. I just want to say that if, if you got sin going on and it's in your heart and it's manifesting itself in these various ways, praise God that he's actually waking you up to the fact because he loves you. And you guys need to know that it's, it's a loving father. A, an unloving father would just let you go. Cause you're not his kid. So he goes on and says, therefore confess your sins to one another. It's one of the one another's we need our line and pray for one another. Notice that, that you may be healed. So there's a ministry of prayer and we're going to emphasize this more um, at our church. You know, after service on Sunday, I say, is anybody need prayer? You know, and, it's a time where you can come and pray. I'm going to probably have the elders, a couple other mature people come up here and just be available for you to pray. Or if you need to go in the back room and pray, we can go pray, but just to pray for you. Amen. We'll talk about that soon. So I need to chat with the elders more about that, but I'm sure everybody's tracking with me, but you see that faith in the Lord discernment. This is what the Lord desires of his disciples, but they were lacking it. And the Lord cast the demon out and healed the boy. And now the disciples have a question. Verse nine. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. <laughs> Let's not discuss this in public. <laughs> he said, why couldn't we cast it out? What's going on? I thought you gave us authority to do this. And he said to them, because of your little faith, it's the same old stuff, same old stuff because of your lack of faith. Little faith when they were anxious about the food and clothing back in Matthew chapter six. Don't be anxious about nothing. Oh, you have little faith, right? John MacArthur lists these ones. I love this in his commentary. 
Um, little faith uh, about being anxious about the food and clothing. Uh, little faith when, when Jesus rebuked the storm on the Sea of Galilee in, in 826. Little faith when Peter walked on the water and took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink and he caught him. It says, oh, of you little faith right there in Matthew 14, 31. Little faith in Jesus' ability to feed the 4,000 after already feeding the 5,000 in Matthew 16, 8. So this isn't like something new. He keeps saying, little, oh, you have little faith, Right. You see, they kept taking their eyes off Jesus and onto the circumstances and allowing the world to shape their view of the Lord, the world and circumstances to shape their view of the Lord. And in doing so, they became twisted. And in this situation, although they had the authority, they did not have the power because their power came through faith in Jesus. It's not authority apart from the Lord. It's a authority in the Lord. That's where their power comes from authority. That's where your power and your authority come from. Not that you're a Christian. All of a sudden you're apart from Christ. You are in Christ. And as you look to him, you are empowered to do all that he's called you, called you to and given you to. And so they were allowing the world to shape their faith. And so Listen, their position as apostles was never supposed to be experienced apart from their direct connection with Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but in me, you can do all things. Amen. Same for us. You know, we can often say we're Christians and think of it as a position or a group or a gathering, right? Instead of a direct result of the abiding relationship of Jesus. We are his right now. He's here. He's here. We're his sheep. And anything we have is from him. And any obstacle you have and demonic activity or sin or all that stuff, man, it's all found in him. And the preaching of the word is to put our eyes back on the Lord Jesus every single week, relentlessly all throughout the week, just about him. Cause in him we move and have our being. He is our life. He is our power. Listen, there's a lot of powerless Christians. I've been one of them saved. Yes, but no power. No power over sin, no power to impact the world, no power to push back against the enemy. Look at Peter desired to do so much, but fell so flat. Amen. Amen. But what happened? There's a different Peter in, in chapter X. He had his moments still. Paul had to correct him. We know that Jesus had to correct him. So good. And I think this is what's going on here with the disciples to some degree. And this is why I haven't gone very far this morning. They, they went on their routine of casting out demons but when that was divorced from their source of power, when they took their eyes off of Jesus, when they went to church without focusing on Jesus, when they went about their week, they went to life group and they went to do all the things that God would call them to do without focusing on the Lord, without having their eyes on the Lord, there was a powerlessness in what they were doing and the enemy had his way with them. They said, come out of him. And the enemy's like, No. Why not? Faithless, 
perverse. Put your eyes back on me. Listen to what I said. Reconnect to the vine. He says, your little faith verse, uh, whatever verse we're in here, it says, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith, like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and it will be moved and nothing will be impossible for you. This verse is a little difficult to understand here, but basically what Matthew doesn't tell you, Mark does in Mark chapter nine, 22 is that the boy's father said to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. And Jesus said to the boy's father, if you can, well, all these things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe help my unbelief. That's the context of what's going on in your faithlessness. The father's just cried out and said, I believe, but I, got, I just got nothing but help my unbelief. And then the context of the mustard seed. If you have these things, then you can throw anything. And then Jesus goes ahead and does what anything no, no one could do. Jesus cast out the demon. The boy was healed. And I think this is the context. The man lacked faith. Jesus said, all things are possible. And he says, I believe. And in the same breath, help my unbelief. And that's what we should cry out to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Help my unbelief. And so how many of you have been living a powerless Christian life? Anyone else lately going through the motions, living in defeat because we've taken our eyes off the Lord. I believe Lord now help my unbelief. Well, Mark nine, help my my unbelief. That's one to underline. Now, if um, we're going to end on a fun verse, if you have verse, how many of you have the ESV or reading out the ESV? Will you please read for me? Verse 21. No one's reading. Why not? <laughs> Oh, wait, if you have the new King James or the NIV, will you please read verse 21 for me? Anyone have it? Raise your hand. Oh, it's there. That's right. But this kind does not go out by prayer and fasting. It's not in the ESV or in other versions, but it is in the new King James, King James NIV. The Bible is false and we can all just go home. What's going on there? I know it's like, this is a topic for a whole session. And I should, I, I did teach on this It's pretty cool. If you have the new King James version, it will have there as a note, it'll say it. And there'll be a note at the bottom. It says, this is not in the majority of texts, but we're choosing to add it in here to let you know what the minority of texts say. And then the ESV says it's not in there. It'll have a little symbol that you got to go look down to the bottom and say, it's not in the majority of texts, but here's what it says. Makes sense. So it was a translator's decision whether to put that in there or not, but they let you know what the options were. Makes sense. And the reason why it's not in the majority of it's in, well, I'm not, I don't want to get too deep into this right now, but just to let you know, the King James, the new King James, the NIV, they're all translated from a group of texts. And then these other ones are translated from a group of texts. This is very basic stuff. Okay. There's a lot more there. And so that's why there's different flows there. But what happens is you have 25,000 groups of manuscripts, little of texts of parts and stuff all the way from fragments of new Testament 
uh, scriptures really early on to the early church fathers writings who are quoting scriptures to copies of books of scriptures and all this stuff. 25,000 manuscripts. By the way, I think like Homer's Iliad has, I think like something like 4,500 or something like that. And the earliest we have of that is like after the dark ages. And the earliest we have of this is like 300 BC, 300 AD. So the Bible goes way back. It's expansive. And what you have is a body of text to where you can go through and you can see because of all the groups, you can see where the changes are made. You can tell when someone adds something that shouldn't be there or it's, or it's differentiating between the majority of the text. And what you have here is a situation where a scribe, because Mark's gospel is so similar and Mark's does say this kind only comes out by prayer. It does not say fasting that he just probably took it and said, Oh, it's the same thing. And he pulled it over and put in prayer and fasting in, in, in Matthew's part. But Matthew does not have that in there in the original. And so the ESV rightfully takes it out and says, Nope, it's not in there, but it doesn't mean it's not true. Cause Mark says in prayer, does that make sense? But what about fasting? Well, he obviously took some kind of license and added fasting in there because prayer and fasting are totally linked in what Matthew Jesus, what Jesus talks about in Matthews is when you pray, when you fast. So I, I know I'm going kind of crazy here, but what I'm saying is that it shouldn't be in there. And that's why it's not in the ESV. And if you do have it in there as a note that tells you why it shouldn't be in there and why they did put it in there, just to let you know, everything's cool. It's not heresy. So what we have going on here, just to let you know, the point is that Mark says that a demon cannot come out without prayer and prayerlessness is a symptom of faithlessness. Make sense? When Jesus taught us to pray, how did he teach us to pray? Pray in public always and only is that what he said? What did he say for you to do? We're almost done. Go in your closet where no one can see you except for whom? You and the Lord. Why? Because that is faith. No one else is looking. That's your heart and his heart connecting. That's where our prayer life should be. And if you're not praying, you don't have faith. You're a faith. Little faith is what it is. So there was a prayerlessness in their life and I don't have time to go into it, but the disciples were sleeping when they should be praying up on the hill. Right. And so there's a prayerlessness in their life, which is a symptom of faithlessness. And this will go on into the garden when he is about to be betrayed. And Jesus is crying for them to pray, watch and pray. He'd be discerning. He wouldn't fall into temptation. So there's a prayerlessness in their life. When we pray, we're seeking God's will. We're connected with the Lord. We're, we're asking for his will. We're asking for his power and his intervention and all these types of things. When we can talk about prayer. Listen, it's good to pray publicly and together as a church. The scriptures say that all over the place. We pray together at, for one another in groups and all those things. That is definitely it. But that is not the root and the core of our prayer. Our prayer, our prayer begins privately with the Lord. And the publicly is just a benefit and expression of it. So don't want to sit there and say, everybody goes, Oh yeah, I don't have to pray in public. It's like, no, that's part of it. 
But that personal prayer life is a proof that you have faith in the Lord. But prayer is a proof of faith and prayerlessness is a symptom of faithfulness. And the result is powerlessness. Powerlessness. So don't get tripped up by that verse. So brothers and sisters, little, little faith, little prayer, little power. The enemy was they faced was powerful. And it wasn't going to be as they had always done. Then you just said flat out. No, we take our eyes off of Jesus. We are powerless in our circumstances, but you put your eyes on Jesus. Nothing that you can't do that. He calls us to it's in his will. Amen. Just a, a verse to end. And I would encourage you to look over these verses. Second Corinthians 10, three through four, write these down. Second Corinthians 10, three through four. Ephesians six ten through what is it? 20. Second uh, Corinthians 10, three through four. And I think Ephesians six, 10 through probably 20. Yeah. This is a whole nother sermon. I know you got time because you're in the spirit. Just kidding. Listen to this verse in second Corinthians 10 through the four. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Divine power, divine weapons, Spiritual weapons for spiritual enemies. Well, where does that power come from? How does that work? Is it some kind of thing I level up and get through some mystical experience? That's Ephesians 6, 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We put on Christ. And that's how we fight. And that's how we win. And that's how we have victory and read the rest of what it is. And if you go down to the end, it talks about fighting in the spirit, the sword of the spirit is the word of God and always praying. And at the end, Paul says, and pray for me. Look at that verse in the end. He needs prayer. Verse 18 is praying at all times, the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we pray for one another and also for me that my words may be given to me, op- uh, to be, may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm ambassador in chains that they may, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. There was a war going on to shut Paul's mouth. There's a war going on to shut your mouth to clamp down your witness. And the power comes when we have our eyes on Jesus and we're praying for one another and we're in him and we're equipped and we stand. Amen. Lord, forgive us of hmm, so much. Lord, I identify with this, um, faithlessness, Lord, and twistedness. Lord, I know we do too, but Lord, you are so good. 
Thank you for being the one who teaches us and who straightens us out and lifts us up and admonishes us and exhorts us and encourages us, Lord. And these men would go on to be just astounding witnesses of you. You changed them as you have begun to change us. Lord, we, we don't want to live powerful, powerless lives, but in the power that you have given us in the spirit, Lord. So strengthen us today. Cause us to grow in you today. Cause us to seek you and to call out to you in a new and profound way, Lord, that you would come and do mighty things among us, that your name would be revered deeply, that our songs would be overflowing in our hearts towards you, that our prayers would be sincere and not just muttered mindlessly, Lord, but our, our thoughts would be on you when we call them and, and a heart of love towards one another would be in us when we say them. And you would act according to your goodwill against the enemy in our sickness and our disease and whatever else we face, Lord, in this life that you would seek to glorify yourself in and through. So we love you, Lord. We commit our week to you. Be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer, we're up here. God bless you. <laughs>